Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation on science and technology. I'm Kenneth Kukier, senior editor and the host of Babbage, and on today's show, creating a new brew of chocolate and coffee. And scientists are turning down the volume of the sonic boom. With me here today to discuss these topics are Matt Kaplan, our science correspondent, and Paul Markley, our innovation editor. So the first topic that we're looking at is chocolate. Matt, what in the world are you writing about? (laughs) So the researchers noticed that with wine over the years, because wine was invented, as it were, 9,000 years ago, the yeasts that are used to ferment wine and give it that awesome flavor have stayed the same. You could look at wine in you know, New Zealand, and compare the wine that's growing there to Napa Valley. And while the grapes themselves are quite different, the yeasts that are being used, the strains of yeast, are almost identical. So change the yeast and change the brew. That would be the idea, except for the fact that they assumed that with chocolate and coffee, which are also fermented with yeast, people assumed, well, it's probably the same thing. You use grape yeast all over the place and it's all the same. The yeasts of cacao and coffee must be the same. But these researchers looked into it and they found that's absolutely not true. You look at the yeasts that are used, let's say, for a Hawaiian coffee, and you look at the yeasts that are used to ferment a Brazilian coffee, and these strains are genetically very different. And these yeasts are important because they create a lot of the flavors associated with the coffee that we then enjoy. So we're creating a new sort of food revolution in the area of chocolate and coffee and how we ferment them. Well, that's the idea. I mean, they haven't tested that yet. The experiments that they ran showed that, hey, whoa, folks, coffee was invented in Ethiopia, or at least it originated in Ethiopia, made it to Europe, and then came to the New World as the Boston Tea Party made tea rather than not the thing for Americans to be drinking, and coffee got out of control. And so with that spread of coffee drinking, you you saw the coffee yeast that followed it along. It, it actually it, it changed quite a lot. So you've got all these different species now all over the world. And so these researchers are saying, well, you've got different species of yeast why not take a yeast from Hawaii and mix it with coffee that's grown in Ethiopia and see what flavors you get? So what kind of flavors are they getting? Well, they don't know yet. They haven't actually tested that. All they know at this point is you've got different yeasts, and yeasts are essential for creating the flavors that you get. They, they break down the sugars and create a lot of the acids that give the coffee that flavor that you enjoy. And the same thing is true of cocoa. Cocoa originated in the Amazon, and then slowly made its way over to Europe with Hernán Cortés during the 1500s. Again, the yeasts changed a lot, unlike wine yeasts. And they are hypothesizing, whoa, you know, we could take the yeast that's in the Amazon and use it with chocolates being grown in Africa or in Indonesia and see what flavors we get. So the idea is to now meddle with that 
and see how things change. So for chocoholics and coffee addicts, then, greater genetic diversity of these yeasts in the, involved in the production of these things, that could lead to some pretty interesting uh, new flavours and new enhancements, then, if people actually take this idea up. That's actually exactly the idea. So unlike wine, which can only be changed by the environmental conditions and the soil and the crop of grape that you grow, with chocolate and with coffee, you've got this other element that can now be integrated into it. They can play with the yeast and import yeasts in. Uh, As to why that's happened, that's a big question. One of the things that the researchers hypothesize is that Wine has this long culture of you got to bring the barrels from the wine origin area. So if you're going to start a vineyard in New Zealand, well, you've got to buy your oak barrels in France because that's what's done. And you yep. got to make sure to go get your yeast cultures in France. And so you actually end up importing your yeast with you. Chocolate and, co- and coffee have not done that. They tend to use the local cultures of yeast to ferment their coffee and their cacao. And that leads, that's led to these different processes of yeast fermentation. Let me take a step back and ask you, where does the fermentation and yeast process happen in coffee and chocolate? Well, it's different in each of them. But early on, you've got to ferment the beans, whether they're the giant cacao beans or the coffee beans. And you've got to let all of those sugars that are sitting on the, the bean itself get fermented off to create acids, and those acids create those delightful flavors that are iconic to the coffee and chocolate that you know from different areas. So if we're just at the outset of this research, when do you think that we might be able to get the fruits of these research on our table? (laughs) I think they're going to start meddling with it as soon as they possibly can. It's not very hard to take yeast from one coffee bean and use that yeast to ferment a coffee bean in another part of the world. And in fact, it's so identifiable, the researchers, you know, because researchers do this, they played around with these things and they, they tried to blind themselves to the different coffee beans and cocoa beans they were looking at. And they just looked at the yeast that they had harvested from the different beans. They found they were able to identify the locality of the bean based upon the, the genetic sequencing of the yeast all on its own. And so if you just collect those yeast and then ship them off to different locations, you could start saying, okay, well, I like Brazilian coffee. Well, yes, but do you like Brazilian coffee with an Ethiopian yeast fermenting it? When you think about the the size of the chocolate and and the coffee industries, this this could have a real knock-on effect. Paul, let's turn to you. You're looking at the sonic boom and how we can actually lower the volume of it. The sonic boom was one of the things that dogged Concord, if you like. I mean, Concord was a marvellous technological invention of its time, the fact that you could uh, fly at twice the speed of sound, go from London to New York in not much over three hours. Great. But it left behind it this trailing sonic boom, which was um, noisy, disruptive, would rattle tiles and sometimes break windows and certainly disturb people. And that led to Concord and any other successor supersonic airliners that were planned but never built being banned from flying over land. And these aeroplanes guzzle an awful lot of fuel when they're flying over land. So it helped the demise of Concord to some extent as it wasn't really commercially viable if you can't fly all the air routes of the world. However, if you could turn down the noise of the sonic boom, somehow lower the volume a bit so it's less disruptive, then maybe you've removed one of the obstacles to a successor 
of Concorde or some other form of uh, small supersonic airliner. And and that's what's going on. NASA has uh, commissioned a design study to come up with a small experimental aeroplane which has certain design features about it which they expect will be able to produce a sonic boom which they describe as more of a sort of low rumble in the distance rather than that big bang as the aircraft used to make when it goes over. How does changing the the shape of the aircraft change the boom? Well, a sonic boom is formed by basically the air molecules just can't get out of the way fast enough as the aeroplane goes through the sound barrier, the speed of sound. And it's it's not just one shock wave that's forming from the aeroplane. It's actually a series of shock waves, and particularly one at the front, and particularly one at the back, which is a decompression shock wave when the pressure goes back to normal pressure. And with these multiple shock waves, as they radiate away from the aircraft, tend to coalesce into two main shock waves. And so so that's when you do hear a jet fighter go over or, or even the space shuttle as it used to be or, or Concorde if you're old enough to remember that. You would actually hear this double boom. The idea is that if you can modify the features down the aeroplane from where these shock waves come from, the one from the nose, the leading edges of the wings will produce a, a shock wave, the engine inlets and things like that, sculpting them, using different shapes. Today we have advanced computer systems that can model the fluid dynamics involved in this, you can somehow smooth out these shock waves. So instead of these two big peaks, you get a smoother noise. And that smoother noise should be less intrusive. There's, they've done some work on this over the years anyway, so they're fairly sure of the sound signature they'll get from this little experimental aeroplane. Now, is, is removing the noise of a sonic boom truly going to help us bring back traveling at the faster than the speed of sound? Not necessarily. It's got to be economic. What we might see, however, though, is the emergence of some supersonic business jets. So there are a number of programs in the works. Some of these uh, look quite serious. And there could be a market out there for the very affluent rich businessmen to have a supersonic executive jet, whereas you could get anywhere in the world in six hours. That's quite attractive. And there just might be a market big enough to do that because you've got a smaller airplane that isn't directly competing with the airlines. But everyone still harbors these ideas of could we get back to supersonic travel. And uh, removing the sonic boom, or at least limiting the sound of the sonic boom, is, is one obstacle out of the way. We've got new materials to make aircraft out of today. We've got new computer systems to model aircraft. We've got new ideas for fuels, even hybrid engines. There, there are things that might make this more of a realistic possibility. And, of course, you've got to remember today that some people get on airplanes for long-haul flights, and they're prepared to fork out enough money to book the equivalent of a small apartment on the airplane for a 13-hour flight or something. So people are prepared to spend that kind of money. Well, who knows? Maybe one day there may be a business case for a son of Concorde. But the business case for a small executive jet looks reasonably promising, I would think, especially if that aeroplane can also, with the similar design features, lower the sound of a sonic boom. I'm just curious, Paul, is the size of the plane itself a critical factor? In part, that is, as we know, with a small jet fighter, that could also make a pretty nasty 
sonic boom. It's really how you can dissipate those shock waves into the atmosphere in a less extreme form so you don't get quite the impulsive sound uh, energy from the shock wave that matters. And that's design changes. Uh, in some tests, the nose of the aircraft looked like a long pelican's beak, really long and extended. Now, if you're building a jet fighter, you don't really care too much about the sonic boom that's left behind. But if you're building a passenger airplane that's going to fly over people's cities, you do. Mm. So size is partly that. Another thing you'll probably see is they will fly a bit slower than Concorde, probably Mark 1.4, probably Mark 1.6, rather than twice the speed of sound Mark 2. That would also help reduce the sonic boom. It would also help reduce emissions, which is another issue people are looking at as well. And is there a time frame for when we might see this technology leave the lab and go into production? Well, one of the uh, projects to build a, a, a small supersonic business jet, the prototype is supposed to be flying within a few years. The NASA flight test might begin also in a couple of years' time, but that's to really sort of evaluate the sound characteristics of this. So within a decade, we may actually start to see something, uh, something happening from the aerospace industry. Great. And Paul, have you ever been on the Concorde? Yes, I have. I flew from London to Edinburgh, but we were going so fast, we were over Iceland by the time we managed to put the brakes on and come back. That's in the old days when I had a certain contact at British Airways. Sadly, those days are gone. Those days haven't been gone. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thank you very much, Paul. That's all for Babbage. Remember, if you want to join the conversation, you can tweet us at EconSciTech or go to our Facebook page. You can tweet me directly at KNQKier. You've been listening to Babbage. For more news on science and technology, please visit Economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.